0: Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts Don Abernathy, Jeff Copsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome everybody to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast, and we are back for another week. Where has the time gone? I can't believe we're almost halfway, a little over halfway through year number five of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. That's right. We launched in 2018. And joining us since all, I don't know, episode 95 and a half or 95 and three quarters is longtime co-host Jeff Copsetta. Jeff, how you doing today, sir?
1: What's going on? It's 95 and 15, 16, actually. Uh, that was the episode. Yeah.
0: Uh, good thing we didn't switch to metrics. I know we had some meetings and we we're talking about it. Talking about, you know, being on standard gets people, you know, everything's metrics now. But I'm, I'm glad we stuck with the... uh the, the standard issue speaking of standard issue we'll get to that in a second talking about a good segue jeff how you doing friend
1: good good yeah uh well you know for those of you who know me uh, y'all know i love my coffee boy howdy coffee in a wtsp coffee mug but let me tell you uh our guest tonight uh mr nick Laday, he's from standard issue coffee where they are roasting coffee one bean at a time over standard issue and nick before we go into who you are and what you do, i got to tell you this, okay? When when I first heard, when you first started following me, and I'm looking at standard issue coffee, my imagination takes me back to CIF. When I think standard issue, like issue one each, right? So for civilian CIF, that's your central issue facility, right? You go in there. They don't care what size you are. They give you the stuff and then tell you to move on. So I'm thinking like a is standard issue coffee, like this comedic, like, you know, hey, what size boots are you? Uh, I'm a size 90. Nine, Here's like a everybody else. half triple E's. Don't, you know, I don't want to hear it. cry to your congressman. Next. So I thought, like, okay, I want one bag of, like, medium roast. And you sent him, like, 60 pounds of dark roast, finally ground. Like, here you go, standard issue. Cry <laughs> to your congressman. Next. <laughs> standard issue is <laughs> not like that, right, Nick?
2: No, it's not. <laughs> but that's awesome. Uh, His accountant no, so... wouldn't like
0: that very much. That would affect their overhead greatly.
2: <laughs> yes, it would. Uh, no. So going to that standard issue, yeah, it that was my first uh, thought was oh, standard issue. Like what's what's something that every soldier gets? TA-50. Well, for the listeners, civilians out there that don't know what TA-50 is, that's your issue gear. Well, every soldier gets TA-50 no matter who you are, from private all the way to general. It doesn't matter. Uh, so that's kind of the story behind that. But yes, I, I, I like that. Uh, <laughs> you go talk to your congressman. <laughs> You're next. I like that. that Here's some that marketing
0: ideas for you. One, just a standard brown bag that says coffee on it. Just coffee and stencil. Probably uh, wouldn't <laughs> sell too great. But two, when Jeff was talking about um standard issue coffee, for whatever reason, when he was talking about um I don't know, I yeah. He was t- he was given a description for some reason. I had this flashback, but instead of the guy who gets KP duty peeling potatoes, oh, that's what it was. You said you said it. They were roasting beans one at a time. I imagine some poor schmuck with a pair of tweezers and a lighter, <laughs> <laughs> roasting one at a time. So if you can get your graphical artist department to do like a, a cartoon rendering of some poor bastard on KP duty, but instead of peeling potatoes, he's using a big uh, a Zippo lighter, roasting one coffee bean at a time. And you can plaster that on the back of a t shirt. We'll give that to you. That's our gift to somewhere, you for
1: coming. On. Somewhere out there, there's gonna be a drill star and listen to this episode. He's gonna be like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> uh, huh. I like that. Oh, yeah. I'll, and uh, there's two I'll levels.
0: The... If you're if you're kind of an ass, it's a zippo. If you're a real ass, it's matches.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Damn oh, it. Dang it. <laughs> I like that. I'll put that in the back pocket. I'll I'll, uh, I'll remember that. I like that. Thank you. So
0: let's go back a little bit in your history. Um, where did you grow up and what got you um, interested in enlisting, enlisting in the services?
2: Yeah. So, uh, born in Colorado, uh, I was an army brat, so moved around to Fort Hood. Actually, I got to see where my dad's old unit was here and then, uh, moved to Kansas. So that's where my mom's from. And then, um, grew up in Kansas, um, probably since I've been about three, so, uh, real small town, uh, about 1,200 people. Um, one, we we graduated from a four-way stop sign to a blinking red light. Um, so that was that was cool uh, to see the progression in the town. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, my dad did 27 years in the army, um, and I just knew at one point that I had to do my duty, and I joined when I was 20 and almost ten years in October. So uh been eleven Bravo uh infantrymen the whole time in the National Guard. Um so it's it's been great uh serving this country and um serving Kansas uh as a whole and just um yeah doing my duty to uh serve the people. So
1: man, that's that's awesome. And you said you're the town you're from in Kansas is about twelve hundred this population. Pretty small town you said
2: yeah yeah population uh graduated with 24 people uh in my class two of them were foreign exchange students so roughly 22 since kindergarten uh our high school was across the highway from a a, uh, cornfield um like farming community all 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 throughout so uh grew up in the small town roots uh, hard work uh work ethic all that and um still to this day just
1: put my head down and work for what i want and
2: um yeah so
1: that's awesome i mean i'll be honest i didn't think there was 1200 people in the entire state of kansas so i'm (laughs) actually a little (laughs) oh no it's uh no you're you're correct i mean the
2: the town i live in now the town i live in now has 900 people so and
0: three stoplights
2: wow no stoplights (laughs) my mom lives
0: my mom still lives in a small town called warsaw kentucky it's right on the ohio river in in uh, northwestern kentucky Right across the river from Indiana, one light. As you were saying, the closest thing they have to a fast food restaurant would be a Subway or a Dairy Queen. That's it. We don't even
2: have, we don't even have that.
0: And since it's in Northern Kentucky, every harvest season for tobacco season, the school shuts down so the kids can go home and pick tobacco for their pa- parents and their family.
2: Yeah, um, I know. For us, it was uh, most of the most of the boys and some girls uh, would skip school for hunting, uh, season. Well, mm-hmm. hell and you then,
0: didn't have to skip school. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people just put their rifles in their, in their trunks and went to school and then went, yep. re- went before yep. and then went right to school.
2: Yep. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. funny.
0: My cousin grew up in Chillicothe, and he graduated a few years with, between me and I saw both sides of the spectrum. I went to his graduation. He had 25 people. My graduation two years later, I had 550 and my last name starts with a B and the only other person to graduate before me was Abbott and Addington. My poor parents had to sit through the other 498 oh, people because oh, it would be considered oh, rude to get up and walk out. Dang. So when you're, when your kids at the beginning of the alphabet and you got that many kids, that's a long, long procedure. That's uh
2: yeah, that is, oh man.
0: So, uh, how old were you when you enlisted?
2: I was 20. Um, I went to college for two years. um, ran cross country and track on a scholarship. And then I decided to join the guard because thankful that my dad let me use his uh, GI and 911 uh, 11 benefits. And um, that portion ran out as I have uh, siblings that used it too. Um, and so I was like, well, I can't really pay for school anymore. So I need to do my due diligence and pay for school on my own. So I joined, joined the guard.
1: Nice. So, um, I don't want to get off your your uh, your service, but I, I I'm I'm really curious more about standard issue, man. I mean, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, I mean, there's so many there's so many soldiers now that uh, or servicemen, I should say, that are starting these companies, man. And it just seems like they pop up and they go away. I mean, okay, yeah, we've all heard of Black Rifle and all that stuff, right? That's great, but um, uh, kind of walk us through. You know, I mean, I know you didn't do it by yourself, right? But So, kind of walk us through that process. I mean, how do you, how does that even begin? How do you get it to where it's at now? I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just blown away um, by somebody who, you know, like yourself. I mean, it's not like you're sitting at home, you know, working from home, whatever. I mean, you're, you're serving, you're in uniform. So, how does this, how does this kind of come about? Yeah. So,
2: uh, let's, let's go back to the roots. Um, So, I was, I was deployed in 1819 and uh didn't a long time ago (laughs) that's right around billy the kid time i think uh 2018
0: 2019
2: um started drinking like more more so the black coffee rather without the creamer and i just fell in love um and then when i got back uh fell in love with the i went to a rabbit hole of the different brewing methods of you know a pour over espresso um how to do a pour over like scientifically with all the grams of coffee well, um how let's much pause right there water. real
0: quick um because i was thinking about this earlier today when it comes to like die-hard coffee aficionados i'm not talking about the people like myself who roll through starbucks every day and get some sort of fancy milkshake but when it comes to straight up legitimate coffee and pouring i've seen somewhere it looks like I've seen these places, that, these artisanal places that look like a, a science lab where they have beakers and tubes, and it's like you got to have the water at the exact right temperature, and it has to soak into the coffee grains for exactly 2.5.3 minutes. And w- what is it about the temperature of the, of the water and how long it makes contact with the coffee grounds to get the premium taste, if that's not getting so too crazy?
2: No, you're good. Uh, So essentially, you'll want to be anywhere between 195 degrees to uh, 205 degrees of uh, water uh, heating up, right? Um, That is just the ideal, the optimal temperature for the water to extract the coffee from the beans. Um, Especially, you'll get this in a pour-over method, um, and it also depends on the course of your beans. So if you grind it too coarse so it's there's bigger uh bits of coffee then you're not going to get uh the correct taste of coffee or if you do a finer course so like espresso it's real um thin and uh small right then and you do that same course of beans with the water then um your coffee's going to taste totally different than what the other end of the spectrum so the the science behind it is basically there's a rhyme and a reason to different brewing methods have different um variables that you have to meet in order to get that type of type of coffee um for for instance espresso you'll you'll want a finer uh grind of coffee because they're the amount of pressure coming from the espresso machine pushing through uh, to grab that, to extract that coffee. Um, that's why you have the finer ground of coffee. Uh, for a French press, um, you'll do a more so of a coarse grind. You put that in the cup or in the French press and then you add hot water, mix it up, let it steep for four minutes and then uh, then you put the... you put the filter down through it and then you pour out your coffee um it's it's there's a lot to it but if you can hone down the basics you can get a really good cup of coffee
0: what's a basic obviously basics of mr coffee but what's a basic entry level for people who say okay i want to get away from just the filling up a coffee pot putting in a filter setting a timer and walking away i want to kind of get into the more nitty-gritty more Almost um, kind of like a, a, a wine, a, like a, a someone who who drinks wine. All, you know, they got the decanter, they know the smells and it, yep. this and that. What's like a basic step first? You know, my first coffee kit for someone who's who like yourself. You're saying, and and I'll get back to this question after, uh, and this will fall <laughs> back to the other question. But you're talking about when you discovered that you enjoyed coffee with without a creamer, which is very important. But I don't want to get tied up on that yet. So, what's no, like a good. basic starter kit for someone who? oh, wow, I do like coffee, and I want to try different flavors, but I I want to get the most out of those flavors other than just putting in my Mr. Coffee and percolating so, the shit out of it.
2: I would, I would start with, this is my opinion. Um, now others are, that's their own, but um, I would recommend getting a food scale, one, two, uh, a kettle, and then three, a pour-over filter. Like a device that goes on top of your coffee mug, um, and then the pour-over method, I think is easy easier to obtain the taste of to actually taste the coffee, the coffee beans. Right um, now, the pour-over method, there's a little bit of leeway in order for you to experiment. In my opinion, um, to uh, get the taste of coffee you want, right? So, um, I would make sure to uh, measure out between 16 to 18 grams of coffee, uh, grind it up a medium, medium uh, coarse grind, and then uh, make sure to have uh, your kettle heated up. And then, there you can YouTube this too. Sure. Um, but but uh, the pour over. I think the pour over method is probably the easiest in my opinion to get a basic entry level into the rabbit hole of coffee of what it is. Uh, once you get that basic down and you'll start experimenting with the mocha pot, which is an espresso that pressurizes going up instead of coming down through the uh, espresso machine. And you can do that over a campfire or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think the pour over method is probably the easiest in my opinion, but it takes a little bit of more uh equipment to use and um if you just have a basic fundamentals on how to do that, you'll have a more of a appreciation of the different methods that you can pull coffee. And I think that's what I actually didn't start that way. I started with the French press. Um just the different taste in coffee, I was like, Oh man, this is this is different than your mr coffee coffee pot right with folgers like uh started buying like rival coffee um and others started getting to the smaller coffee companies that were out there and then um i was like you know what uh why don't i just make my own so um but
1: how that's long a long been- sorry what how long has standard issue been been around so the idea came up
2: probably 2 years ago just an idea. It was one of those like hey, why don't I do something? Like I'm tired of you know, not saying I'm not tired of the army, but I'm tired of, you know, working for someone. Maybe I want once I retire I want to have something where I'm my own boss. Um and so I started thinking, well maybe like I uh, i run marathons. Maybe I want to be a running coach. No, that's not it. Um, and then I just kept circling back to coffee. Like my, my the amount of coffee I consume, I consume is, uh, would put me in a hospital. Yep. <laughs> and so that came about probably, it really didn't come to fruition until about last year. Um, I didn't file for an LLC until September of last year. So uh, and I was by myself. Um, and that kind of catapulted me into like, okay, we're actually doing this. All right. Um, and from then on, it's just been figuring out as I go. And here we are.
0: Now, since you, you're in yourself, and I'm assuming your your partner too, both have a taste for black coffee without the creamers and that. Um, do you, I'm assuming you guys tweak your flavors. You have, you know, find the beans that give you that best aroma and the best flavor. But how do you guys, I guess, deal with knowing the fact that so many people who are going to buy your coffee are just going to pour that gelatin glop of coffee made in there and just completely dr- destroy all the time, energy, and effort? Because... People are addicted to that stuff. And I and I used to be one of them. I used to be one of those cats from the age of 18 until 35-ish. I would coffee-made, blah, blub blub. It wasn't until I started World War II reenacting, and I woke up at like 5 in the morning after freezing my ass off, and somebody had made a coffee on a camp cook. There was no creamer around it. And I, that's thats how I actually started drinking my coffee black was at World War II reenactments because I'm not going to sit there, oh, i got to go find some coffee, mate. Guys, hold on. No, it's just... <laughs> and now that's all I drink. I, at work, I, I drink water and black coffee. That's it. But just there's so many people that's addicted to this stuff. And it's like... Yeah. To have a coffee, and, like what you guys are doing in the world of the coffee mates and the the fake coffee at Starbucks. And you know, now they can buy all the, the Starbucks crap in a can and all that. How do you guys try to position yourself into that market share to, to kind of get your message out about, Hey, there's actually better ways to enjoy coffee.
2: You know, honestly, I think the way we do it is uh, word of mouth. And, um, I, 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 truly believe that word of mouth is the best marketing tool you'll have in a business. And if you get enough people to realize, Hey, there's better, uh, products than the big corporate companies, then, um, people are going to realize, Oh yeah, this is, I love supporting small business. I love supporting veteran, you know, I love supporting Kansas small business. And um, I think that's kind of what's kind of jump started us a little bit is because people know that they know the owners. And I think in the, in the days of what, where we are now in social media um, we're, we've been trying to use that as a tool to expand our uh, audience a little bit too. And um and I, I haven't said this right now, but I do thank you guys for allowing me to come on here and share the share my word and uh, talking to you guys. So I do appreciate you uh, letting me come on and talk about my uh, standard-issue coffee company.
0: Thrilled to have you on, and uh, we're, we're thrilled to see with what you're doing and what you guys are trying to achieve. I guess number one question when it comes to coffee, though, is where do you procure your beans from?
2: So uh, we we get our beans from a company down in Mississippi that uh, they get shipments of green coffee. So for the listeners out there that don't really know the history behind coffee, uh, coffee starts out in a cherry, actually. And then it gets washed or dried naturally and then gets the cherry taken off and it comes in a green bean. Green bean comes through uh we roast it to light medium dark roast uh depending on the, the temperature how long it's going to take and then when it's the a consumer wants the ground coffee or the whole bean we'll bag it up and ship it to your door and you have a great cup of coffee um but we we get ours from Mississippi hopefully one day uh we'll we'll have a uh partnership or um you know uh agreement uh with some farmers down in the uh south american and uh, other countries um where they grow coffee so that's the goal that's that's one day that's that's me being a visionary um in which it'll happen but not right now so we get ours from a uh company down in mississippi that uh sources green coffee
0: go ahead jeff
1: yeah so um you know of course and again, I'll you know, Don already said it, but yeah, I mean, we appreciate you coming on, man. This is, this is awesome. And I know probably some of our listeners have been tuning in for a little while, like, guys, this is a World War II podcast. What, you know, What? let's get back to it. <laughs> um, but the, so, I, what I was thinking about some of your uh, techniques is, man, a lot of that is maybe similar to how you had to make it, right? The pour over method, how you had to do it. 70 some years ago on a battlefield. It's the first time I've heard Don talk about uh drinking black coffee because of being a World War II reenactor. And I think that's that's interesting. I mean, I didn't drink coffee till I joined the army because it was kind of one of those things like I need something other than hot water to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh so you know, it is what it is. And then I just got hooked and and yeah, just the black coffee, that's that's uh that's where it's at. But there's a history to it um Coffee's always been a big part of a soldier's life, as far back as probably history goes. Right? I mean,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I think about even prior to the Second World War. I think about even the Indian Wars in the nineteenth century. Guys living on coffee and hardtack. Like that's that's what you got. And right. yeah, you didn't have a nice little handy bag of finely ground, dark roasted, standard issue coffee <laughs> a saddle bag on you know as you're. In the <laughs> uh, you just had beans. So. Uh, you know, I think of things from a historical perspective. So, uh, it's interesting to think the way coffee was made back then. And then we went through all of our technology and like, Dom was saying, Mr. Coffee, and now it's almost like we're going back to how it was done originally anyway, to appreciate, like you're saying, to fully appreciate the actual, you know, the coffee bean and what goes into it and how it should taste. So it's interesting to me to see that, that full circle. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. And um, funny you should say that. Um, i glad you brought it up because our, I don't know if you, uh, you probably have scrolled our social media page, especially on Instagram. We, where I work out of, there is actually where I work out of Emporia, Kansas, which is the founding city of Veterans Day. Wow. Yes. Yes. Um, and so there is a huge uh, veterans just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Appreciation? Community. Yeah, community appreciation, right? And so there's this big event that happens every year and I got actually, before I started the company, um, I got a good relations with a World War II reenactor. And so a couple of years went by and I was like, hey, uh, I started this company. I need um some content right i need some stock photos videos and stuff like that and he agreed and he got all in his world war ii uh reenactment and uh we did we, sh- we went for a photo shoot and found an old uh busted down uh bank in a rural like small 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 community took some pictures there and it just Reminded me like we made coffee on the spot and he pulled out a World War two coffee maker and we we made coffee right there with a World war two burner and You know the pump where you're pumping up the gas to get it to get it going and then or the propane and then uh And then roast made some coffee and then it just it just clicked in my mind. I'm like wow, this is living history like right 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 before me uh the the fact that I get to do this uh with someone else that appreciation appreciates not only the history of our country but uh coffee as well. So um I'm glad you brought that up because that was that was a good day to be around uh that type of uh sense of community in, in a sense, you know. Um and then believe it or not, like I went to uh uh last christmas i went to new orleans i went to the world war ii museum and i was trying to to find some coffee related stuff and then you know i just i stumbled upon how their uh, coffee rations were it was you got two pounds of coffee for a month i think it was something along those lines but just the fact that i was like oh man two pounds i go through that like a week maybe two if that
0: <laughs> yeah I'm, that's I was, actually
1: more than i thought it would be actually i mean say that say that again that that actually is more than i expected it to be considering rationing back then i mean two pounds a month doesn't sound like a lot maybe for today but for your average joe
0: i think i think that is. was for the field kitchen because i'm looking and it looks like uh, the standard c ration um came with a powdered coffee um and it was five grams of soluble coffee. So it was almost like the precursor to the uh, instant coffee that we instant had in the coffee. 80s. Uh, Sanka, right. if you will. Now, I was just looking at Standard Issues um, Instagram as he was talking about that, and a particular uh, living historian that he had do this this um, shoot. It appears that he's so, he's so accurate with his airborne uniform. He actually has a gas... Uh, pre- impregnated gas protection version. You know, people will actually go all out with their. The guys who are really in the airborne stuff. They don't just put on the airborne. They actually put the whatever. Some people use Vaseline, whatever. He actually has the gas impregnated version of the uh, the jump uniform. So, his uh, his, imp- said, his impression his impression is on
2: spot. He said that it took him over either a day or two days to put that on.
0: Yeah, I can imagine so.
2: And in his in his war room, is what he calls it unbelievable yeah
0: he's got m19 1930 cow here just like the one that i carried through the hilton um and let's and and keep in mind too let's go back to world war ii and coffee was coffee actually has caffeine in it it warms you up it kind of gives you the sense of normalcy gives you you and your your foxhole buddies something to do in the downtime but more importantly the caffeine Soldiers back then weren't all hopped up on Red Bulls and bang and caffeine, (laughs) chewing gum and all that stuff. The reason they were given Hershey bars was for the caffeine and the sugar rush. And so that coffee and the chocolate bars, because that was their key, that's the only way they got caffeine back then. That was a huge part of being on the line and, you know, being able to stay awake and alert. That was the source of energy. They didn't have all the extra sources like we have nowadays, unless you're on the other side of the Rhine and then you had your little tablets with, uh, crystal meth in it but that's for them not for us so the allies you know we're we're relying heavily on the uh the chocolate bars and the coffee so coffee definitely has gone, as jeff was saying too gone way back
1: yeah absolutely that's a big part i mean it was a meal right yeah Uh, so and that's why it was in every k ration and everything i mean that's just and it's in every mre or at least it was so um yeah there's an interesting connection there and um so uh nick i wanted to ask you too um i know we kind of touched back and forth but i i kind of missed uh don kind of alluded to it, so you've got you've got a partner in crime that helped mm-hmm. you started or has joined you has
2: joined uh josh had joined um probably around march time frame of this year um he he liked the idea of what i was doing what my I envisioned for this company. And so he, he hopped in and, um, him and his wife have done great, great things for us as far as uplifting and, uh, getting the web, like the website, uh, we rev- revamped the website and then, uh, just producing content, getting stuff, uh, known to people, um, just the ideas that are flowing. It has been, uh, enormous for their help uh getting this company to where it is we're small but we we're 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 envisioning uh great things ahead
1: cool well hopefully if josh is listening good job and and uh you know keep up the great work and i will certainly do you know what i can to help out um you know i i get invited to quite a few uh living history events or open houses and air shows to perform and different things like that. So I'll definitely do what I can in the uh, World War II community because, you know, yeah, I mean, it's we're uh, I think I speak for a lot of reenactors when, you know, we would much rather uh, be supporting, you know, a, a kind of a smaller uh, up and coming business as opposed to some big commercialized thing, you know, something that just and you feel good. You're, you're you're buying this from, you know, Staff Sergeant Lede, Kansas Army National Guard. That just has a great that's a great feeling. As opposed to, you know, let's run into town and, like you said, go get this freaking Starbucks or whatever. I'm not a Starbucks fan. I just the, – the the mail that I received, the chain mail, hate mail that we got from freaking Starbucks when we were over there, no, not going to walk in there. I'm sorry. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was almost 20 years ago I deployed, but it still sticks with me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get it out. But – uh
0: and real quick i just, anyway, i i yeah, got to get out awesome. there cuz wlvn 1940s radio pointed out on youtube hey guys don't forget the navy yes coffee played a huge role on those ships i mean imagine being in a submarine just stay, all you hear is ping and just staring at walls all day long you need that coffee to wake your ass up and especially but
1: you have to drink it and don don has one right do you have it handy The traditional Navy, no-handle, the the white mug that you see in every picture. Don's going to get it now. I was so jealous, Nick. I I mentioned this to him. I said, man, I I have a lot of stuff, right? I'm a huge collector of World War II. It's World War II. I've either got it This is like the one thing
0: that I have that Jeff is jealous of. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually Corning Ware. This is the Corning Ware uh, made in the USA. It's the... um, what do they call that? The um, oh, the guy who sat up in the uh, bird's nest. It's it's the Watchman's uh, mug. Yeah, they call it the Watchman's mug. There's no loop on it. That way it keeps your hands warm. And this is actually made by Corningware. And the only reason I bought this is I was up in the last event I did. Jeremy and RJ came down from Georgia, and they had two of these in their drink. And actually, they had three, and they offered me one. And uh, Jeremy's like, if you come across these anywhere, scoop them up because they're getting harder and harder to find. And I just so happened to be surfing eBay like the following week. And it came up. And my favorite thing to do on eBay is get people while they're sleeping. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll search what I'm looking for and hit ending the soonest. And then I'll wait until late at night or like right before. And I'll have a price point set in my mind. and But I love just to grab stuff other people missed out on that i know that there's uh people looking for but like this i got this at such a great price because it just went under the radar but I, wow. it just makes me happy that jeff wants it so bad and it's that the is. only thing i have in my collection i did drink out of this for like two weeks in my office but i brought it home and put it in my cabinet
2: that's awesome
1: now that Standard is so cool. you guys you guys have some merchandise too right you've got some coffee mugs with logos and things right so that was uh, we've been we got stickers. That's about it.
2: Uh, as far as coffee mugs, uh, as you've seen the pictures, that was the testing phase. Um, we we haven't gotten uh, enough mugs yet to uh, remake those mugs. So, but um, thank you for pointing that out. I know that we need to get those uh, get those out. But um, I actually just got. Patches made leather patches made. Um, so I'm going to sew them on a couple of my hats and see how they look And if if it if I like what I see then, uh, maybe here in the near future, uh, maybe some hats might be dropping so um But uh as far as uh merchandise not yet. Um Most of I'm still doing most of the roasting and whatnot. Um, everything still flows through me and so uh the tight ship is still setting sail. So um we're we're not there yet. And I, I don't wanna be there yet, just in the sense I'm getting uh ready to do more adventurous things here soon. And uh we're we're not at a stage yet to do those types of things. But it's it's on it's on it's on the map. It's we're talking about it, but not yet. So, it's a process. It's a process. It is a prior. It you being know. being a being a business owner has is ups, but mm-hmm. also many of its downs. Yep. Especially
1: if you start out by yourself, it is. <sighs> Don knows all about that. Yeah, I ran
0: my own business for eighteen years, and I would tell people the only difference between working for yourself and working for somebody else is you're the asshole you have to answer to. If you're not working, there's no money coming in. So there's no paid vacations. And, um, the only, one of the key benefits, at least for the first five, six years, you know, unless you, unless you just get really lucky with something that everybody wants to have right now, um, people, you know, people who don't run a business or never, oh, they just assume all you have a business money's just swinging in for the first few years. You (laughs) know, it's, you'd make, you'd make more money for somebody else, but it's owning a business is really meant for those people who can't bring themselves to work for somebody else unless that unless they find somebody who's a lot like them. And um, I, my father and I started my own, our own business in 2004. And then in 2012, I got a part-time job working in radio. And you don't get much more corporate than that. And I realized, oh, and now I remember why I went and worked for myself.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, I love the radio. I love showing up, producing, being on the air. But all the other crap, I just couldn't stand. And I, it just... And it was happening when things started changing in corporate America. It's like, oh, you gotta come sit through this sexual harassment seminar. It's like I've never sexually harassed anybody. Um, just like I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't go to AA weekends on the meeting. <laughs> Meetings on the weekend, so I would just log in on my computer, and just leave the room. I'm, I'm not participating in that crap. It's just, but these are all corporate checkmark things. And so running your business is really, it's really, you know, if you don't, if you're not self motivated, if you're the type of person who fights to get out of bed in the morning and wants to go to bed early and wants to do all these things on the weekend and all your free time, hanging out with friends and all the good stuff running a business is not for you. <laughs> that comes later. Right. Yeah. And so, but no kidding. I, we, don't don't, it, we made, it, it, up. It. We made it. it up. We made it up. No, you've been going, you you have the motivation, obviously your commitment and the things you do that got you to where you are in the military, you know, that in and of itself is showing that you're not lazy. You're self motivated. Obviously, in the military, you have people giving you orders, but you have to be self motivated to fulfill those orders. No one's going to follow you around all day unless they're screaming in your freaking head at boot camp to get those orders fulfilled. You got to do that. You got to find out what your mission is, and it's up to you to complete it. And running a business is the same way. You get up in the morning to look at what are my end goals for today or for this week, and I got to figure out how to get it done. No one else. And it appears that you no you have those those traits. Real quick, I appreciate that. Let's get in the running, real quick. Jeff's favorite topic. Um, you were talking about maybe. Do you run marathons at all? Have you gotten back into so running?
2: I've I've ran seven
0: full marathons or half marathons.
2: Full. How old are you? Twenty nine.
0: Okay, when you get in about thirty five, you'll start getting interested in ultra marathons because you'll realize I. I'm not getting any faster, but I can run further. But concrete hurts my knees, and I like running in the dirt. So you might start looking at ultra marathons, but don't don't sleep on the obstacle course racing. I've done I've done five Savage races and a Virtual Spartan and two Tough Mudders um, before I got hurt. I'm just now getting back into running because I got hurt for a while and gained a bunch of weight back, so now I'm trying to get back into it. But my goal, I've ran one half marathon on a 10K, a handful of 5Ks, um, I just turned 45 last month in June and because I like to challenge myself and beat myself up on the first of the month I wanted to have and I completed, I got 49 miles in in 29 days. I'm sorry, 45 miles in nice. 29 days. And so my goal nice. for this year is to run a full marathon And but um, I'm 45 I spent 18 years skateboarding I spent 13 years snowboarding and so my knees and ankles don't have much cartilage <laughs> left in them and so it's <laughs> It's a lot of time in that pain cave, but, um, yeah, if you've never done an obstacle course race, try it. You'll love it.
2: So I went to one in Charlotte. I saw a Spartan race and I was like, Ooh, this is, uh, this is different mm-hmm. than what I'm used to. Um, my goal, I do want to complete an iron man someday. That's my, that's one of my other goals now. Um, but I don't know. I mean, in the army, I mean, I do obstacles and stuff like. I, I, I kind of get that, but it, it's not really for fun unless being in the army is fun. Right. Um, so maybe someday I'll, it, I'll do one.
0: F- I, I have a motivational podcast called the failed to fail podcast. I actually had an ex Navy gentleman on there who does iron man. The craziest thing. The guy was in the Navy, but he hates open water swimming and he does. Iron man. So he says at the beginning, of every <laughs> iron man event, he's pacing up and down, the beach, psyching himself out to get ready for that two that was a two and a half mile open swim. It's like you're in the damn navy. <laughs> you hate yep. he, he hates <laughs> open swim. He just completed oh another one, God. and I'm about ready to have a, um, a female athlete on. Uh, I got to reschedule this week. She just um, she just finished her Ironman, and she she killed it in her time. So um, I'm very interested in that. So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's just something about. I tell people I don't enjoy running running sucks. I enjoy the feeling I get after the run's done because, and we'll get back to the coffee here real quick, but unless you've done it, I can't explain to people where your mind goes. And for me, it's around mile six, a mile six. I can disconnect from my body. My body's just goes in auto drive. I mean, if you have problems in your life, maybe you're stressed out at work, you're trying to figure out how to make things work. Your kids are bothering you, you get around mile six and you start – you disconnect, and you will start processing all your life's problems. And so by the time you get home running like a 12-mile, you got a lot of answers sorted out, and you got a lot of a lot of things you can uh, get done. It's amazing that's, how much mental uh, processing you do on long runs.
2: So for me, that's where I do most of my thinking is on runs, morning runs. Um, just the – I don't listen to music when I run. Um, it's the – the clarity and the silence of my surroundings. So Kansas, I'm running on a dirt road and, you know, I'm running next to a wheat field, corn field, soybeans, alfalfa, and then a pasture with cows. And so just being able to be in my own thoughts, um, that's where some of my uh, thoughts for standard issue coffee came from, you know, Um, like our, First Sergeant Blend, our limited edition blend we did over uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that was on a run, and just the the thought behind it, and it uh, that was on my one of my runs. Like I said, so the the running can provide solitude if you allow it, and not get into the nitty gritty of the paces and being in the same heart rate zone for x amount of time or doing so many intervals for at this pace at this time for this distance like if you just let running be your go-to solitude place you will find happiness and enjoyment no matter what
0: and it's sad that obviously it's sad for multiple reasons that veterans come home and their bodies beat up even if they don't have any combat injuries but just the rucking and just all the wear and tear to the body there's multiple reasons that's sad but another one you can add to that list is I know, and I didn't serve, so I'm not you know, trying to make assumptions, but just from what I've heard from people I know, and especially those like, I, I do a lot of reenacting with retired soldiers, and part of the reason for doing the reenacting is the camaraderie and the brotherhood. And one of the other sad reasons that so many people who served, especially as they get older, their knees are bad, their backs are shot, they can't do a lot of things, is don't sleep on a running community. I mean, you could hop in your car, drive downtown to your small town on 5 a.m. on a Sunday, find four people meandering in a parking lot, stretching, getting ready to go run. You walk up to them and say, can I run with you? They'll say, absolutely. And if you do that yep. two or three times, you'll make friends and you'll, and you'll, and you'll share that, that, uh, shared pain, suffering. Hey, we're all going to go run exactly. 10 miles. We're going to embrace the suck together. And you exactly. will, and you will get some of that, that lost sense of community that you're looking. If your body's up to the challenge.
2: Exactly. Well, and that's not to segue into another topic, but that's currently why I'm here at Master Fitness Trainer Course uh, is to change the culture uh, of how the Army runs its fitness. You know, we're we're starting to get away from long the days of okay, we're going to go, we're going to go run ten miles today, and then tomorrow we're going to go max out squats, or tomorrow we're going to go do the obstacle course, and then we're going to come back to do a five mile run and no, long, long, long as those days of doing that type of PT, now it's, hey, why are we doing you know a upper body strength day today? Why are we doing a lower body you know strength day today? Why are we doing some active recovery? Why are we doing an aerobic uh, long run today? Why are we doing an anaerobic interval run? So uh, to point on that, it that <laughs> that's where my mind's been the last two weeks is we're changing the culture of how the army, runs its fitness and it's for the better and long long are those days of the being left out of the community for fitness wise uh because the army treated not saying it did but in my opinion uh long uh the the community of soldiers uh are broken in the sense of uh their physical fitness um and we're, we're changing that here Um, For the better, and uh, that's kind of where that community comes to. Is if we're doing this, these types of fitness programs and uh, stuff like that, then we're going to have a better sense of community and the spirit of core and camaraderie within the uh, formation. So then, maybe on the back end of you know your retirement or your. ETS or you just get out of service for whatever reason, then you still have that community of fitness or you still have those people to lean on.
0: Are they, sh- are they putting more emphasis on the importance of recovery? Cause I think, uh, you know, a lot of people who, whether they're hitting the gym twice a day, seven days a week, or they're, they just got a running. And I did this too. I was running every single day, three miles. I wouldn't run less than three miles and I didn't realize the importance of recovery. Are, are they at least what you're seeing? Are they kind of incorporating the importance of recovery into PT?
2: So that's, um, so before this new change of physical training, um, it used to be the, okay, let's do the cool down drill or recovery drill. And that's it. It's just five exercises and we're in formation and we're just doing the stretching. Okay, whatever. Go do, go change and get ready for the day. Cool. Now it's, Uh, the new training fitness program uh, the army has is called h2f uh, holistic health uh, fitness right and so basically we're gonna go not to get into nitty-gritty of what we've been talking about but uh, way off topic but there's five pillars um, nutrition sleep physical fitness uh, mental and spiritual right and so the army now is diving deep into how our body works both mentally physically spiritually and if our uh, recovery is not to where it needs to be then the rest of our body is not going to perform at its best to be a tactical athlete and so the army has has realized okay we need to take better care of our soldiers in all aspects not just you know pay not just uh housing not just uh you know family outreach or whatever it's the whole sort of concept and so the what the army is doing is like they are getting into the nitty-gritty of recovery so why we need to do uh these types of exercises or these, these types of uh, recovery drills to better facilitate uh blood flow into our muscles to feel better for the next uh event or task we're going to do the next day so sorry to get on a
0: and and not to ma- and, we'll, and we'll get on, and we'll finish up the physical fitness topic with this don't sleep on the as we hinted to about running but it was my personal cure for depression i mean i and growing up the childhood i came from and, and the things i experienced i was i was horribly depressed and just all through my teens and early 20s until I started, whether it was going to the gym or running or whatever, if I don't burn those calories and kick my own ass, if I go a week without working out, I it, it definitely affects me. And so it definitely yeah. has a huge, tremendous um, increase and in, um, benefit in the mental health state. Where can people find you on Instagram Facebook and your website?
2: Uh, so, my personal Instagram is Nick Led L E D one one. That is my personal one uh, for standard issue coffee. Uh, it's like I just said, standard issue coffee, um, both Facebook and Instagram. And then our website, uh, www.standardissue.coffee.
0: That's cool. So, dot coffee is now a domain name, a finalizer instead of a dot com or dot co or org. Got, they're
2: dot coffees now. That's cool. You are you are correct, sir.
0: Real quick before we get into everybody's favorite segment, what you're reading. Um, you know, this podcast did our our original format was primarily living history in World War II um, reenacting, and every once in a while, Jeff and I will talk about items that will make your impression that a little more. F- whether it's fun, more compelling to the casual observers or just something to set you aside and some of the things we talked about in the past like when I go up to Georgia to do an event or I went down to to Alabama and do a tactical event um, the platoon leaders whoever's in charge will actually come with pre-written letters from your alleged girlfriend or, or ex-girlfriend at that point. And like, you want not be expected to call mail call and they're handing you letters from some make-believe girlfriend it has this whole three page story about how your dog ran away and now she's see- sleeping with your brother. Just all kinds of silly, fun things. Um, and I recently, one was through Facebook. I'm part of a group who's getting ready to do a, um, another Marine Corps event up in Alabama. And these, the Marine Corps guys that I've fallen in with, some of them are active duty. Um, some of them did certain the past, and some of them are just living history. But for whatever reason, it seems like the Marine Corps impression crew are always about details when it comes to their impressions. And one of them went as far, and I got one, of re-manufacturing the first initial, middle initial, last name, rubber stamp. So you can stamp underneath your canteen cover where it's supposed to be, on your back of your first aid kit. And so I just got mine made up. I need to stamp some of my stuff. Got to get the appropriate stamp for it. I don't know if you guys can see it, but it says D.P. Abernathy. And this next one, I, I got off eBay. They claim it's original. I don't care if it is or not because I'm going to take the staples out and make photocopies. <laughs> but this would be a great morale boost to hand out to the guys on a long weekend, especially, you know, Jeff, every once in a while you'll do one of those events where you have, like, USO shows, so everybody goes, changes, gets in their Class A's, whatever. I got the... Uh, vd pocket guide oh, <laughs> for geez. sexual hygiene and so i'm going to pull the staple out and i'm going to make copies of this and i'm going to probably make 50 or 60 of these and give them to the guys who do the Corman impression. Say, make sure everybody has one of these before they go to the uso show tonight and um so let's just page one a few facts about sex and this is from the war department um They claim this was original. I don't know. It says, uh, Washington, September 30th, 1942. This pamphlet is prepared under the direction of the Surgeon General of the United States Army and published uh, for the information of the military service in general. A copy will be furnished to each recruit upon enlistment. And this is by the order of the Secretary of War, C.G. Marshall. And then, yeah, it um, starts out with uh, fun facts about your sexual organs. Oh, here's a fun one. (laughs) We won't get into it. The section two is entitled wet dreams. <laughs> so This thing just oh, everything that a young boy, <laughs> in 1942 needs to know about sex and how to, uh, avoid the, uh, the burning feeling down below, if you know what I mean. So uh, that's one of the things I'm going to make copies of this. And like I said, have the Corman handout. And I'm going to expect to see those in everybody's tents and, and racks just to, just to add to the, um, the realism of their impressions, if you will. Be great. Look, that, so, that'd be great in your footlocker, Jeff, right there, right there on the top shelf. <laughs>
2: so, I want to, I, I, I don't want to one up you, but uh, I found through eBay a 1950 infantry platoon field manual. So, why 1950? Well, that was right after the war, right? Yep, and so they are re. Figuring or revamping the field manuals to be tailored towards the World War Two tactics
0: instead of the World and War One that they were pushing out to begin the World War Two.
2: Exactly.
0: That's very very cool.
2: Yeah, it was uh, yeah. the the stamp on the the top of it uh, was from a Connecticut uh, infantry unit in uh, the National Guard up in Connecticut, so. Side note, that, that that you reminded me that I had that in my office, and I'll take a picture of it and uh, send it to you guys. But uh, that's the the coolest World War II item that I, I have, I guess.
0: I was, uh, and I guess we'll get into it. Um, for what you're reading, I'm just about three quarters of the way through uh, Four Hours of Fury. I've uh, just been super busy, and I'm enjoying the read. But in that book, talking about things that they were given, they were given a a, pam- a pocket pamphlet called something Guide to Germany, and as I was reading, it, I did what I always do. I put the bookmark back. and I went on eBay and I found. I don't know if they're the original ones because they look bigger than a pocket pamphlet, but I think I found that pamphlet, and I'm and I end up picking one up if I can find the original pocket size one. So they're giving these guys this guide to Germany so that, you know, worst, you know, if they get lost or something else over in Germany, they have the the pocket guide to Germany, which I did find on eBay, but it looks a little bit mm. bigger than the original one they're talking about. Cause they refer to it as a pocket pamphlet to fit in that breast right. pocket in uniform. Jeff, what you reading?
1: Uh, yes, I mentioned this, uh, I guess a couple shows ago when I first started, I'm almost done. It's, it's the most, it's the most different book I've ever read, uh, on the subject. And it's called silver wings. Uh, this particular one, I think this was published in 48. I want to say, um, but it's basically the way it starts out. It, it had, It's uh, two authors that put it together. Um, and uh, let me see. Yeah, this is from 1948. So this is the original first edition. It's, it's, a, it's a great looking book. But every chapter is about a different exploit uh, or exploits of a specific air force during World War II. So what the authors did was they created fictitious people to tell these stories. And, and it's revolving around a fictitious B-24 waste gunner who was bailing out in the Pacific, and him and his buddy, the other waste gunner, um, one of their parachutes was totally just shredded from flack. So they're the last guys left in this bomber. You know, the bailout signal's gone off, everybody's out, and they're sitting there arguing why the other guy should take the parachute. And this guy decides to clock his best friend to push the parachute on him and throw him out. But that parachute was faulty, never deployed. He actually, the guy that stayed in, actually ends up surviving the 24 splashing in the Pacific long enough to see that he basically pushed his best friend out and he plummeted to his death. So he's uh, withering away in bed. He doesn't want to get better. He's a paraplegic. He doesn't. He doesn't have the drive because he feels like he killed his best friend.
0: I mean, that's like so, the definar- dictionary definition of survivor's guilt, right there.
1: Right. Absolutely. So this fictitious army major decides that, uh, and this is right after the war. Right. He's gathering all of these guys from the Air Corps and taking them to the hospital to tell them expert to tell uh, this patient. All of these exploits and all these guys served in all these different air forces, right? So it covers the 5th, all the way through 13th, everything in between, everywhere all over the globe. And they're relating stories about, yeah, that buddy that I knew, so-and-so, and and that buddy they knew or that person they heard of that they served with are real people. So still what you're reading is these real, you know, stranger, crazier, braver-than-life exploits of real uh, airmen and what they did all around the world. So it's a really neat book. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah. So that's I'm, I'm finishing that up. And um, man, I know you guys have been talking for like 30 minutes about shin splints and viral disease. Mm-hmm. But I really have been dying to tell you guys about the first time I got to sit in a P-51 like a week ago. Yeah,
0: we I, I, you know when uh, Dennis was on here the other day, we we kind of hinted to the audience that we wouldn't spoil your all's adventure too much that we would let you regale us with your your living history event rundown, and so we didn't step on it too much last week and so we have some time so please give us the rundown.
1: Man, yeah, I mean between that and in one week I went from sitting in a P51 to touring one of only five aircraft carriers that served in World War II that's still, you know, still around um but yeah so the p51 okay get invited there's an open house it's a commemorative air force event down in San uh San Antonio um and it's at Stinson airfield it's an old historic airfield and they've got the Tex Hill wing this is the the squadron of the CAF that's dedicated to Tex Hill and they've dedicated a lot of their artifacts and of course Tex Hill, you know from Texas uh so you know there's a there's a big connection there right um Every year they have an open house. COVID kind of killed it for the last few summers. So the last time they had one was 2019. And I was there uh, representing a the museum I worked for at the time. And so they asked, you know, to see if that could come back. And I told them, I said, I'm coming as me. <laughs> I'm not representing a museum or an entity. And this is the first time of all the places I've set up at, this is the first time where I was just Jeff Cop said it, man. It was just great. I got to talk. You know, the movies, I got to talk, of course, what's the scuttlebutt, being a collector, and me me and my son were the only two guys there in World War II uniforms, so it was really cool. I went Air Corps, Logan went Pathfinder, and um, had a couple tables, and yeah, they had a P-51 fly-in, a privately owned one and uh just happened to ask the guy flying it the pilot's not necessarily the owner uh but uh linked up with the pilot he was feeling up and i was like man where, where are you going he goes "Oh, i gotta fly you know wherever I said, give me like 10 minutes i said let me go get throw some flight gear on real quick grab my kit bag and you know, i'm already in you know my crusher and and you know chocolate shirt and everything but you know grab my kit bag threw the a2 on even though it was 106,000 degrees through the a2 on through the may west on you know and and the guy that uh invited me down there uh which is a great guy f-16 fighter pilot um he uh he was one that took the photos of me all over the hero shot like bud anderson and then he goes man get you know go ahead and, and get inside and of all the 51s i've been around i don't i don't know why i've never sat in one but are I'm you
0: sleeping of- on that photo because i'm on your instagram and i don't see the one of you in the cockpit i think you're sleeping on that photo uh,
1: Maybe, maybe yeah. I haven't posted that one yet, but, um, guys, I got to tell you now I grew up, my first car was a 92 T-top Trans Am, right? I had that car for 17 years. The T-tops were never on it, right? It could be 28 degrees, the heater's blasting, but the T-tops were off, right? I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to
0: one-up you, but I had a sweet ass 1997 Pontiac Firebird Coupe, baby. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, my T-tops were always off enough. too.
1: <laughs> no, yeah i mean i love him i love him so uh anyway but it reminded me of of getting into that car you know just hopping in grabbing the windscreen and just sliding in and i i gotta be honest getting into a p51 is like putting on your favorite pair of blue jeans oh it, yeah it, it, i'm serious like it's i mean i'm trying to take these photos i'm just hopping in like okay great you know, tell me what you want me to do whatever and i'm like Wait I gotta soak this in for a minute like mm-hmm. it's so ergodynamic right and, and you know I'm a fairly average guy right 511, 180 right So I'm probably a little bigger than most of the pilots, right certainly way more than most of the pilots, you know those starving guys that were 130 pounds. but so I feel like I'm a little bit bigger than most of those guys um, but still at five foot 11, I had unbelievable visibility. And everything was like, your hips, I mean, your 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 elbows could be touching your hips, and there's nothing in that cockpit you can't touch, but it's not crowded. I don't know how to explain that. But everything is just like, it's just right there. Everything's <laughs> where it should be. <laughs> Every, yeah, everything's just where it should be. You're not having to reach. You're not crowded, but amazing. That's the most amazing cockpit. I've sat in some World War II Warbirds before, and never a P-51 it tops it. That one takes the cake. It's unbelievable. Wow.
0: Now, did they sit on their parachutes in the 51s? How did yeah. the. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, was the seat modernized and accommodated for not sitting on the old style parachute?
1: How I did that. I feel like it had to have been. And it had a jump seat in the back. Okay. You know, they, they could fly with somebody. So I feel like that's that's been changed. Because um, I know the Hellcats were the same way. If you sat in a Hellcat you know, without your shoot on, you know, you're like... <laughs> it's like the old lady driving the Cadillac in front of you. Yeah, or Cors- Corsairs, you know, they're the same way. Like, you hop in, like, you need a couple couple thick telephone books to sit on. What's
2: a telephone yeah. book? <laughs>
1: right. What's a telephone book? So that was a lot of fun. Um, and, yeah, Dennis, and, you know, if you if you guys uh, listeners, you, you need to go back and listen to Dennis Blocker. He's a great story, great author, great storyteller. He sat in a couple of episodes for us. Here it was, the Scuttlebutt, and he was nice enough to uh, – I never heard of Bunker 27. Yep. He shows up at this event with this goodie bag for me, and for it was this Bunker 27 T-shirt with a beautiful nose art of the Memphis Belle on the back, a beautiful – Memphis Bell, Metal Tin. I was like, dude, this is, this is great. I never heard of it. Bunker27.com. Check them out because they're, they're coming up all over the country. I think the last one just opened up in Ocala, Florida. Yeah.
0: That's like, yeah. Right away from me. Let's see. They uh, got, um, Bunker 27 opens its first mall based store. Where's this guy at? Uh, in Fairfield commons in Ohio. And then it looks like they have the Houston store and then, as Jeff was saying, they got one here in Florida.
1: <clears throat> and I know there's one in San Antonio. So they're, they're, they're around. Um, so if you're into that stuff, World War II based merchandise, you know, t-shirts and goodie bags. and They
0: got Vietnam stuff in here too. They got the Air Cavalry yeah. Division shirts from Vietnam. They got modern day air, air you know, um, logos.
1: Uh, yeah. It looks like a great business. So shifting to the Navy, uh, you know, oh, real spelling. quick, since
0: before we get off the topic, Gabe is uh joining in from YouTube and he's currently reading Lucky 666. And so, that's, yes. he's throwing that Thanks, book in me. there,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, Gabe is actually uh, he's now in San Diego serving with the Navy. And I was going to mention, um, as we shift to the Navy, uh, like I said, I was just uh, just on board the USS Lexington, which is down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, here. And there are, uh, I think we looked up, there are five carriers from World War II and I don't think they're all museums, but there are five still around. And one of them is in San Diego. So Gabe, check it out, man. I think it's the USS Midway, I want to say. You'll have to look it up. I don't know if you can board it or not, um, but the fact that there's only five uh, really made it feel special. This is probably my sixth time visiting the Lexington, um, but it's even a little bit more special knowing that you just don't go on an aircraft carrier that served in World War II, right? I mean right. there's one in I think the Yorktown's in South Carolina, there's two in New York, and then the one in San Diego. I don't know how many of them you can tour, but the Lex is it never it never gets old, right? Um it's a beautiful museum. You get on this ship and um you know that of course there were two Lexington's right we know C V two sunk a coral sea lady uh Lady Lex. And then so this ship was being made at the time and there was a petition signed by the workers say, "Whoa, we just lost the Lexington. It was made up in Massachusetts. Like we need to rename this one the Lexington as well. And we did that a lot uh, during World War II. The Hornet was sunk. We, we built a new Hornet, so on. So this is the second Lex. Um, but its first operation was uh, and Don, you'll love this Operation Galvanic. Uh, Hellcats were launched off CV-16, USS Lexington, to support Marines hitting at Tarawa. So, um, interesting battle history. You go in on the hangar deck, there's a Dauntless, there's George Bush's Avenger, there's, you know, Chow, there's a 3D movie experience. And uh, And Nick, you'd probably appreciate this, man, I was never so humbled. You watch about a 30-minute video, a documentary about aircraft carriers, and they take you all the way back 5,000 years ago, triremes smashing each other in the Aegean Sea, right? All the way to today uh, with RIMPAC, um, which is, uh, if you're not familiar, the Rim of the Pacific is basically a field problem, I guess you would call it, mm-hmm. war games, mm-hmm. where 26 countries uh, have their navies participate in the most realistic simulation of combat in the Pacific Ocean. Um the amount of ordnance that they fire is unbelievable. Um, you know, a lot of the some of the things were still classified, they couldn't go into everything, but you're there, you're like on this carrier at RimPack, and I've never seen an F thirty five do F thirty five things until this documentary. And I mean, dude, it it was so patriotic. To sit here on a carrier where you're thinking about guys in Dauntlesses and Hellcats that missed the wire coming in, crashing, smashing into stuff. You're thinking about Avengers coming in, you know, gunners shot up, you know, coming on a wing in a prayer. You've got an LSO, a landing safety officer with paddles trying to, you know, get you to land and make sure you hit the hook and cut the power. And then you're fast forwarding in one man's lifetime. You're watching these F-35s create 40,000 pounds of thrust, and they open up, everything changes on it, like a transformer looks like a freaking UFO, yeah. and in 300 feet, it just takes off from the carrier, and then it can identify everything and knows what Navy it's from or what Air Force it's from, what country. Oh, that's a foe. It just launches stuff at it. It disappears. Everything blows up, and then the guy comes in for a landing and just stops and then it just moves over and just puts it down on the carrier. and I'm just like, This is no fair. This is absolutely no fair. And this is this is our navy. This is this is our mm-hmm. military today. And I just I mean it blew me away, man, to think about in these in one like I said, in one man's lifetime to go from that, if you imagine a ninety some year old carrier pilot watching something that looks like it's centuries in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean it looks like aliens came and gave us our tech this technology right so outlandish almost it makes me think like am i going to be 95 years old and like oh man i wish you know if a, if a 90 some year old you know humvee 50 cal gunner can see this what else, is left? What, else is left? what else is left what other technology what is left um it makes me wonder what is our military going to be like 70 years from now on? and it the only the only thing I can like the only assumption I can come to is we're so technologically advanced that we've eliminated large wars right maybe maybe that's where it's at it's you know we went from you know nothing Minutemen to giant navies to aeroplanes you know to jet to nuclear everything in between war of attrition so just advanced. Yeah. you just you can just defy large scale wars because of this show of force and technology. Maybe that's maybe right. that's where we're at I don't know. It's unbelievable. Cyber yeah.
0: cyber warfare. Shutting down it people's infrastructures.
1: It yeah, it's more cyber warfare
2: now, more than ever. Yeah. Um side note I will say I have been to the USS Lexington. Um but that was fifteen years ago. So I need to uh, make another trip now. You got me intrigued.
1: Absolutely. So, and it's so awesome. It, it because, you know, even, 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 even yeah, even back then, it was like, oh, my God, this is. Yeah. This you, is go down, you go down to the boiler room, you see the engines, they've got mannequins set up. You go to the post office, the dentist, the barber the chow line right the machine shop everything it's it's all done up down there and there's you no. Realize control.
0: how small everything was i've done two living history tours on the ss uh, american victory it's a liberty ship and you know i'm six foot five so it's even worse for me but when you're crawling through bulkheads going down those stairs you know and it's one thing to be going through that in civilian gear, but when I do the SS American Liberty, the Victory ship, I'm in full gear. So I'm walking up yeah. those stairs with an M1 Garand slung on my shoulder. I after a while, you got to flip it upside down because you're tired of banging your barrel on every damn bulkhead you're <laughs> trying to walk through. And you got your Marine Corps pack on, you got your helmet on, you got your M1 slung over your shoulder, and you're trying to walk down those stairs and get through those compartments and all that stuff. It's like, oh yeah, this was even you know for the average five. You know, 5'9 guys, this is a tight squeeze. And there was a hell of a lot more guys on board. but, But yeah, you're quickly reminded of how tight and compacted and small everything was back then
1: absolutely i mean it had to be and it was just out of necessity and like you said some of those stairs they're so <laughs> It's it so like scary. no osha everything's straight up oh yeah yeah i mean it's like <laughs> straight up and straight down and you've got a big red leather pad mm-hmm. right there as you're coming down or you're gonna yeah you're gonna bump and that wasn't
0: and put in until 1984 back then that's why you had your helmet on <laughs> I right, we so, skipped yeah. over we skipped over nick nick are you reading anything right now you want to contribute to the what you're reading files
2: yeah for sure so i will start this back actually last month um we did a so for my job as a recruiter uh we did a recruiting um like photo shoot commercial shoot kind of deal and so we got to travel kansas right well what's one of the main things kansas is known for that pertains to world war
0: ii oh i was gonna say wizard of oz other than that i have no idea
2: Well, (laughs) he was the Supreme Allied Commander during World War II. Oh, that guy. That guy. (laughs) Ike's from Kansas. Ike was born in Denton, Texas, but he was raised in Abilene, Kansas.
0: Oh, he's from Abilene.
2: And his boyhood home is still there today. And so we did a visit around the museum, which is phenomenal, by the way, Um goes through his life through West point and the, uh, how his West point class was dubbed the class of the stars and how there was 25 generals that came out of that class, two of them, five stars, himself and Bradley. Um, and then just the decisions he had to make, uh, after world war ii and into his presidency and uh, up until his death um on that day that we went we got to it was the army's birthday by the way and we also got to witness um the replaying on his tomb for the army's wow. birthday Fort riley is the main installation active duty installation in kansas and so they had their commanding general and command sergeant major come down lay the wreath on uh general eisenhower's tomb and then uh, we got to explore the museum and stuff like that um and so what brings me to that is anytime i go somewhere like this i want to read about the person the place anything right and so the book that i got was it's called how I led because i am i'm an infantry guy I have a squad of soldiers underneath me. Um, Maybe one day I'll become an officer. Don't know yet. Um, But for me, leadership is one of those things that uh, I need to improve myself on. And so I've read many books on leadership. But I wanted to go back to uh, how Ike led in the sense of his important decisions on uh, not only in World War II, um, but post-World War II. And so that's I, I started reading that, and then this course kind of happened, and I led up to this course. I studied for this, so I um, haven't gotten back into it yet, but I will. Um, but that's that's the current book I am on right now is How I led.
0: Fantastic. We'll have to look that up. Hey, Jeff, I want to assign us both a homework assignment so we have something to discuss next week. Let's go out and watch Oppenheimer this weekend. I did. You've seen it already?
2: I have. I saw it on Saturday, and it was fantastic. Um, I I was
0: hoping to see it this weekend. Didn't get around to it. Um, But since you've seen it, I don't know where it's streaming, but about five years ago, WGN actually had a show, a series called, uh, uh, called Manhattan. About the Manhattan project mm-hmm. and has Oppenheimer and all that in there. If you're looking for a good companion show to follow that up, it'd be interesting contrast comparison. But it was a that was actually a really good show. It only lasted I like think one season, obviously. But yeah. So Jeff, let's go out and watch Oppenheimer this weekend and we can discuss it in great detail next weekend.
1: Yeah, next see if I can get that in. Actually, my son went to see it tonight. Uh so I'm interested in his feedback too. Well
0: maybe we'll bring him on. You've been wanting to get him on the show for a while, so maybe we'll
1: well, we can yeah, see if he's yeah, interested and we'll do a
0: uh in depth movie review on Oppenheimer.
1: Yeah, and we've we've got we've got some other uh interested people as well uh for possibly coming on next week. So we'll have to yeah, we'll have to stay tuned on that because uh I can't wait to uh plug uh one of our guests that uh maybe next week, maybe not. Uh but really cool World War Two connection, really cool radio connection. Absolutely. See if we can hammer that down for sure.
0: And, um, and if we do, we will, uh, you know, we can always, you know, it's not like we're going to do an hour and a half on Oppenheimer, but you know, it might be a good 10, 15 minute conversation. Uh, get each yeah. other's opinions but for myself jeff that's going to wrap up this episode of the what's the scuttlebutt podcast your favorite world war ii podcast we want to thank nick from standard issue coffee for hanging out with us giving us a rundown on uh, the proper way to make coffee and how he got into it and a little bit of a world war ii as always we want to hear from you send us an email to mail call at wtspworldwar2.com that spell just like you see it on the old tv wwii So that's mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And while you're on your computer, head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the uh, Patreon link, sign up, and subscribe. It only costs you a dollar a month. That goes a long way to support what we do here at the channel. And while you're there, you can also click on the YouTube link or simply go to YouTube.com, look for D410 Media, and you can follow along and stream with us and join in on the conversation like we have DJ Bowen on there tonight. We have Gabe on here. We have our friends over at WLVN 1940s Radio um, and a few others in here. So if you want to join in on the conversation, you can ask us questions in real time and we'll try to answer them. But for myself, Mr. Jeff Copsetta and Nick, we want to thank every one of you and we will talk to you all next week.
2: This has been a Digital 410 production.